No comments about the dove. I am so thankful to the Lord of how he leads us when we are unconscious of his presence. Sometimes we think we're on target and we're going about the Lord's business. Sometimes we remember to think like that and sometimes we forget. But in spite of our forgetfulness, in his compassion, in his mercy, in his love, he leads, he leads, and he directs. <clears throat> in the circumstances of life, many find that when all hope is lost, then Jesus comes. You could tell stories like that today, I'm sure. How he makes the difference. What hope he brings. Maybe you're facing some difficult circumstance this morning. Everybody here looks like they're on top of it all to me. I mean, that's, isn't that wonderful? You know, you say, great. I got the world on a string. I'm walking with the Lord. Everything's in place. But you know what? That is just not true. There are dark shadows and deep hurts. There are things that you pray about and pray about and pray about and you wait and you wait and you wait and nothing happens. The tendency is to give up. I'm sure Job wanted to give up many times. That's what his wife encouraged him to do. Give up and curse God. No. You see, in God's perfect time, he'll come through. We might say, where is the Lord when I need him? He has a reason for that. You and I can't get it. His, his ways, the scriptures put it like this, the Lord's ways are not always our ways. But one thing we know for sure, the Lord's way is always better. It's always higher than our ways. God's train, if I could use this <clears throat> analogy, is never late. It comes into the station right on time, every time. It's always the right time for things to happen. Just think with me for a minute. I'm not going to turn to these scriptures. or just, I just want to rehearse something for you. 2,000 years of Old Testament, 2,000. Signs, shadows, types, symbols, all pointing to a special person in the universe coming. But 2,000 years. Right from Genesis chapter 3 and forward, we have the prophecies of his coming. Then we get to the end of the Old Testament and you say, where is he? And then 400 silent years. God dead? Is anything ever going to happen? 
but in the fullness of time, Galatians 4 and 4, Jesus came. God's perfect timing. He came, uh, as, if we go chronologically through the New Testament, and Matthew, it says, um, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Then came Jesus. Well, one day a man by the name of John the Baptist is standing in a river called Jordan River, and just when you wonder what is going on, then came Jesus. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The next day, John is standing with two of his disciples. Then came Jesus. And those disciples left John the Baptist and followed the Lord Jesus. He's beginning his public ministry. There was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. Then came Jesus to that wedding. And as they worked through the social aspects of that wedding, Jesus met those social needs. There was a woman at a well in Samaria as we progress along with the footsteps of Jesus. There was a woman at a well in, in Samaria, and her life was a shamble and a wreck. But interestingly enough, at just the right time, then came Jesus. He always shows up at the right time. A little later in John's gospel, he goes back to Cana of Galilee where the wedding was, and there was a nobleman's son who was sick, and there was no help and no hope. Then came <laughs> Jesus. I don't want to beat the drum too far here, but just think about it, to heal the boy. Uh, his disciples fished all night. They were fishermen, but they didn't catch anything. Then came Jesus to do what? Help them catch fish? Well, to show them that if they would be obedient to him and follow him, that he would meet and provide for them. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Then came Jesus, and she was made well. Matthew, one of the disciples, is sitting at the receipt of customs. His life is about to be changed. Why? Because then came Jesus, and he was never the same, called into ministry. The Lord spends all night on a mountain, and then he comes down. And chooses the twelve. There was a storm on Galilee. They couldn't seem to wake him up. But just at the right time. When all hope was gone. Everything was lost. The next wave is a potential uh, life-threatening wave. And everything would be lost. Then came Jesus. I hope you're getting the point. It was the three darkest hours on earth. 
at the place of the cross from approximately 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was the three most hopeless days on earth as he laid in the grave. But then came Jesus. He arose. The grave could not hold him any longer. I want to take this thought this morning. Sorry for a long introduction. I, I, I want to take this thought this morning. Then came Jesus. And see if we can't put it into everyday practical aspects of our own life. Our text is going to be Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. <clears throat> Thinking about a name for this message, actually I came up with uh, three names or three titles for this message. The first title I came up with was this. I could entitle this message, A Day That a Funeral Was Canceled. So think about that one for a bit. <laughs> Most funerals are not canceled. But a day a funeral was canceled. We could call this message that. Secondly, we could entitle this message, can the dead hear? That'll explain itself as we go through. But this is the one that I came to, and obviously you will identify with. We could call this message, Then Came <laughs> Jesus. Uh, let me read for you if you're in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 11. 7 11. And it came to pass the day after that he, now that's the Lord Jesus, went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came near to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bar or the couch, it could be called, or the coffin was most likely not an enclosed box but simply a platform where the body was laid. He came and touched the couch, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us. And that God had visited 
his people. God had indeed visited his people. That's our text. Now, uh, let's uh, notice a few things about the text. First of all, I, I want to put it into a, a, a bigger category. Uh, many of you will know that uh, of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, uh, are, are, are gospel accounts that many times give us a stereo view of the same incident in the life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Matthew will say, look at it from this direction. And, and Mark will say, well, look at it from this direction. They'll write about the same scenes, the same activity. And Luke will come along and say, look at it from this direction. And we sort of get a stereo view of the life of Christ. Now, however, having said that, some of the footsteps of Jesus are not recorded anywhere else in the scripture. And this is one of them. What we have, we have. Uh, Matthew's not going to give us any hints, and uh, Mark is not going to share anything about this particular incident. Matter of fact, this is exclusively never mentioned again in Scripture. This is it. This is what we got right here. Now, even though this is uncommon, it's not unusual in a sense because uh, the other uh, writers of the first three Gospels, they will say some things that Luke doesn't mention either. Matter of fact, I'm not trying to bait you now to get you back on Wednesday night, but <clears throat> we are going to take another unusual event. Matter of fact, it's so unusual, I think you're going to want to come, actually. <laughs> uh, and see. Come and see. That's all I want to say. And uh, so anyhow, here we have it right here. This is all we got. Now, let's notice a few things about the context here that will, that will help us. First of all, the timing of this whole thing, the timing of it. Um, in most uh, cases, uh, in, in this part of the world, when death occurs, burial's the same day. So if the Lord would have waited a day, he'd have missed it. Or if he'd have come a day early, he would have missed it. Timing is fairly significant here. Um, if we go back to the first part of chapter 7, we read that he's in Capernaum. Take one minute. We've we got a second here. Take one minute. Go to the back of your Bible. Find a map of New Testament category. Uh, not, not the Old Testament, but the New Testament. You might have the journeys of Paul, the apostle, or missionary journeys or something. Just, just get a, a map back there of, uh, of, of Israel. It won't be hard. You'll have one. If you have any kind of a Bible, they have some kind of a map in the back. Just New Testament time, okay? Well, once you get that map, there, it's, it's, it's easy to locate these places uh, sort of at the middle half of the top part of your map, you'll see the Sea of Galilee. And around the Sea of Galilee, you will see Capernaum right at the top of that body of water called the Sea of Galilee. You'll see uh, Bethsaida, Capernaum, uh, and some other places, Chorazan, and some other places there. Now, if you were to go uh, from Capernaum as you would look at your map, to the left, follow around 
the Sea of Galilee to the left as you look at your map, and then just a little bit down and a little bit further to the left, you'll see Nain, N-A-I-N. That's the place it happened, right there. Uh, we're talking about somewhere between 12 to 15 miles. Okay. And, and Luke chapter 7, he's in Capernaum. That's where he heals the, um, the, uh, uh, the servant uh, of, a, uh, of an army officer there, a centurion. He heals his servant. Uh, when we read in verse 11 that it came to pass the day after. So he's in Capernaum. This is the next day. He's taken about a 12 to 15 mile hike. Now he's not alone. We read that <clears throat> there were uh, many disciples and much people. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But So there is a procession of people. There's a congregation uh, uh, of people gathered together, and you can almost see them as they're walking along. Now, they got 12 to 15 miles to go, and uh, you don't just dilly-dally along when you're, uh, you know, smelling the roses along the way. You got 12 or 15 miles to go, and you have a divine appointment in Nain. As far as I know, he will never visit Nain again. He goes for one purpose. He's got it in his head. He's directed by the Almighty. He's in perfect tune with God. Nain. There it is. I see it on the map. Uh, we don't have much information about it. It's built on the side of a hill. The, the gate, actually, of Nain, the, the, the road that comes into the city is sort of a steep incline. And along the sides of that road was stones and and uh, sort of hillside, and they would cut, cut tombs or grave spots in the side of that. And this was normal. Rather than digging in the ground, they cut into the side of the ground, and they'd roll a stone over that. That would be a grave site or a tomb. And uh, the, the implication historically, culturally, is that they're going out of the city with this dead body. They can't get they can't bury him in the city. They won't do that. They take him out of the city, down this road, and there's a, a tomb prepared somewhere. That's sort of the scene. The, the name um, Nain just means uh, beautiful. I can't find much more about it than that. It must have been a very picturesque sort of a, sort of a place. Um, not mentioned anywhere else in scripture as far as I know of. So we got the time and the timing. We know how far he's come. We know that he's coming for a reason. The reason is there's a funeral going on and the timing here is absolutely incredible. You've got a procession of people um, with pro probably, probably leading. You know, a lot of times we follow behind a casket the implication in Bible times, they want a head of the casket, okay? And the caskets or this couch that the dead body's laying on is probably behind them. So you got a, a procession coming out of the city, and then you can almost see it if you look in your mind. Here comes the Lord with disciples and much people. They're coming this way. The procession of the funeral is coming this way, and the timing is absolutely incredible they meet in the gate of the city. That's sort of the timing. The situation, the funeral. Now, um, let's, let's think about this. There is, uh, 
There's an only son on the couch. <clears throat> that is the coffin or that which carried the body. Um, we are told in the text, at least the Lord called him a young man. Okay, so you can speculate. Go ahead. <laughs> is he 13? Is he 23? I, I, you know, we don't, we don't know, but he's a young man. Okay. Um, and we are also told that um, the lady is a widow and that this was her only son. Now, you'd say, well, how much can we know about this? We can know quite a bit. We can know quite a bit. Let me suggest something. Um, as a widow and having only a son, we can surmise from this that she had a sorrowful past. That is, she lost her husband somewhere. Now she's got a little boy. It's not easy. This is a single mom situation. Do you ever think about that? This is a single mom raising a little boy. Do you know how hard that is today? Imagine about 31 AD. I mean, you just, you, you cannot imagine. Um, there's no work. It's just scratching away at the dirt to try to keep your self alive. Um, she's lost her husband. She's trying to raise this son. It is a tough life. I know about that. A sorrowful past. But she had a bitter presence. Uh, present. Uh, th th that is, she now loses the boy. Now, <clears throat> it it's one thing that there be a single mom but you got a little boy, and, and the hope is that this little boy is going to grow up, and he's going to be able to provide for his mother. That's the hope. She's got a glimmer of hope, but perhaps almost in his prime, when he is now capable of doing that, she loses him. Sorrowful past, a bitter present, and a hopeless future. All hope is gone. Nothing left to live for. I am done. I can't eke it out myself. I can't make it happen myself. Everything that I had thought would be uh, um, a provision for me is now gone. And so there is a hopeless future. Keep that in mind. <laughs> okay, now let's go back to our text a little bit and see if we can find some more things. Uh, I want to suggest also that when Jesus came in verse 11, it says many of his disciples went with him. I don't know how many, but a disciple. Now, you'll notice also it says that the disciples went with him, verse 11, and much people. Different category. You, you generally have this wherever you have any kind of religious activity. You generally have some people who are really with it, some people who are truly born again, disciples of Jesus. They want to be like the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. They want their lives to count. And then you got other people. It's just the way it is. You got some people who just like to come to religious services, just like to esteem some religious person. I mean, can you imagine starting denominations? With your name? 
Isn't that incredible? People follow men. Absolutely incredible. Well, I'm going to suggest that the disciples wanted to be like Jesus and the much people, they just wanted to see what he could do. Let's see what's up. I mean, he, he's, he's already got into a category here of a miracle worker, signs and wonders, all kind of things. As far as I know, this will be the first time he raises the dead. Now, he'll do that twice again. But this will be the first time. Okay. You're going to have uh, Jairus' daughter. He says to her, Talitha Kumi, little lamb. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> you know? And then Lazarus, his good friend in Bethany. Okay, as far as I know, this is probably the first time. So this would be fairly significant. This hasn't happened before. But he's just encountered an army officer who had a sick servant. And the army officer said to him, I too am a man under authority. Um, you don't have to come to my house, Jesus. All you got to do is say it because I know about authority. I said, what is that? Well, because he was a man of authority, he would... He could say to this soldier, go dig a ditch. And guess what that soldier would do? He'd go dig a ditch. <laughs> he could say to another soldier, uh, go, go, go over here and stand at attention. And guess what he'd do? He'd go stand at attention. Why? Because the army officer understood authority. And the principle is this. You must be under authority to have authority. Because he was under the authority of the military, it's coming right from the top down to him, then he was over all of the soldiers under him. That's the principle. So he said to Jesus, I too am a man under authority. I get it. Because you're under the authority of God, you're over all disease. You don't even have to come to the house. Just say it. Wow. You know what Jesus responded to that? He said, I have never seen this kind of faith in Israel. Nobody's got it like this. But here's some Gentile army officer that got it. Okay. So Jesus is showing his authority over creation because he's under the authority of God. And everything must obey him. He has that authority. Great. He hasn't raised the dead yet. But he's about to show his authority over the dead, too. So, you've got some people who want to see signs and wonders. They want to be entertained. You've got other people that are getting as close as they can to Jesus because they want to be like Jesus. They are real followers of Jesus. Then you got the dead man. Hmm. We don't know much about him. Jesus said he was young. He was a man. We got him. And then we got the people that are carrying him. Isn't it kind of neat? You just read that and you go... I don't get all of that. Well, it's all right there, though, isn't it? It's just right in your Bible. Slow down. Just read your Bible. So now we got people that are carrying the couch, the coffin, okay? And uh, we don't know a lot about them, but probably we would call them pallbearers today in our funeral services. Uh, you'd have a coffin here or wherever you're going to have it in a funeral home, and then you're going to take it from there, and you put it in the funeral coach and then from there to go to the cemetery and then the guys get it and they take it and they put it in the grave. I mean, these are the same guys. But, but it's kind of interesting. Jesus approached them and he comes over and he touches the couch. <clears throat> I mean, all of a sudden, these pallbearers, these people who are carrying this couch, the, it says in verse 14, they froze. There's a couple of reasons for that. You don't do that. 
You don't do, that is unclean. This is against any uh, social and religious uh, laws. Uh, that, that is uh, contaminated. You just don't do that. They have made special provisions of how they can do it without being contaminated, but you don't touch that body or that couch that that body is on. And Jesus comes up and goes, hang on here for a minute, guys. And they go, just like, wow, what is going on here? Okay. Um, these are kind of the people that are there. Now, uh, there's some other people. I want you to notice them. Uh, beside the widow, we talked about her. Uh, look again in verse 12. It says, uh, when he came near to the gate of the city, uh, behold, there was a dead man carried, the only son of a mother. She was a widow. Much people of the city was with her. What does that tell you? She was known. You, you see that sometimes, don't you? Uh, sometimes when a person in their late 80s, 90s, hundreds, <laughs> if they live that long, die, you get about eight people to the funeral. Why is that? It's not because they weren't important. It's because all their friends died already. That's why, you know. They're so old when they die, everybody's already died, you know. Isn't it amazing, though, when you get somebody in their 20s or 30s and uh, they're sort of high profile in their church or in their school or in their community, hundreds, and you've experienced it, hundreds of people show up at the funeral. I'm going to suggest that this little word, much people of the city was with her, is that she is really well known. Probably very much pitied, uh, very much the object of love and concern. You, you could only imagine that this, this young fellow probably didn't just drop dead with a heart attack. He may have been sick for a while. And the community knows that. And she's trying to raise him, and he's sick, and there's not any help. You can't, like, go to the children's hospital. My goodness. It's just you're, you're there, and this is it. And your friends, no matter how much they love you or want to help you, there's very little they can do, but they are there. Let me give you a little parentheses here for a minute. Do you ever go to a hospital or a, even after death, you go to a funeral and the family's standing there, and, and you think, I don't know what to say. That's okay. Just go cry with them. Just go. Just go. It's okay if you don't know what to say. <laughs> My wife tells me sometimes they don't need Bible verses. They need somebody to come and hug them. Cry. Let me suggest this is the atmosphere. Nobody's got the answers. It's bad. Doesn't appear to be anything good coming out of this situation at all. But she's got some friends. You thank God for those friends who will come and embrace you and cry with you, support you. There's probably nothing they can do. Nothing. 
but they can identify, especially in the body of Christ. Weep with those who weep. Don't be afraid to do that. So there's the people, friends, perhaps family of some kind. We don't know, but they're there. Now, <clears throat> there's four, a four-fold action that takes place. Uh, I just want to point it out to you. First of all, uh, in, in verse uh, 13, it, it says this, that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Let me suggest again the order of the procession that's coming out of the city. She is probably in the front with the people. They are going to the funeral site, to the tomb. Behind her are her friends, and behind those friends are the people that are carrying the couch with the boy's dead body on the couch. Jesus and his friends, his disciples, and others who are coming along for the ride, they're, they're coming up, and they meet in the gate of this city called Beautiful. You've got life meeting death. This is what you got. We're going to ask ourselves the question, can dead people hear the voice of God? <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? Well, uh, in John 5, it says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Uh, let me remind you of something. Um, everybody has an unbreakable appointment with Jesus Christ. Everybody. I don't care if you're a Christian, an atheist, an agnostic, uh, in between. Doesn't matter. Everybody has an unbreakable appointment with Jesus Christ. Everybody does. Some of you will meet him as your Savior, the Lamb of God who died for your sins and wonderfully was risen from the grave three days after. And, and you've known him, you've trusted him, you've embraced him, you've walked with him, and you're going to see him, and that's going to be such a great day of rejoicing when you see him. But everybody has an appointment. Some see him as their savior. Some will see him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, their judge. But you're going to meet him. You're going to meet him. You can't pull the grave in over you and escape judgment or that divine appointment. You cannot do it. The Bible is very clear. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. The day is coming. It is coming. So we have life meeting death. You know, an absolute fool could invent an atomic nuclear warhead and could destroy a civilization. But you want to know what omnipotence is? All power? Not destruction. A fool can do that. All power is life. Life. Who can create life? Who can speak to the dead? And have the dead to respond. Only the almighty God incarnate, in this case, in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Life meets death. Interesting, isn't it? So he has compassion. Uh, we're in verse 13. Uh, 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 verse 13. He saw her. He has compassion. He has compassion on everybody and anybody. 
The, the Lord was a, a man of compassion. His heart went out. I mean, uh, it's interesting how that most of the miracles were done for people who were the down and outers. You, you put this in context of our day. He didn't go to the upper class, uh, you know, gated communities, folks. He's down in the red light di district. That's where he is. He's in the marketplace. He's in the, 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 the dusty streets of Jerusalem where they're gnawing and crying and every kind of imaginable activity going on. He had compassion. God help us when we lose that in our life. When we think, oh, I can identify with those people, but he identified with everybody. The up and outers and the down and outers. No distinction. God is no respecter of persons. Don't you be either. And, and, and so he has compassion on her. And this is what he said. Here's four steps. First of all, he said, don't weep. Don't weep. The, these tears are tears of hopelessness of helplessness. It is done. This is my only boy. He is gone. I have nothing to live for. I have nothing left. And she was weeping. He said, don't, don't weep. Don't weep. And then he touches the couch. That's number two. And then he speaks to the dead. Notice what he says in verse 14. Young man. Now notice. Read slow. Young man, I say to you, now, why is that important? <laughs> Let me tell you why that's important. <clears throat> if the Lord Jesus stopped along the way, and we suspect that this is the graveyard area, and there are graves all over the place, uh, never mind right there. How about all the graves everywhere in the whole existence of humanity at this point? If the Lord Jesus were to say to the dead, Arise! Every grave will open <laughs> and everybody will come forth from those graves. So like he says to Lazarus or to the little girl, 12 years old, he addresses them individually because his voice would go out in the universe. Let me tell you, the universe will respond. So he says, young man, to you. <clears throat> and I could parenthesis it, not to the rest of the dead yet. Just you, I say to you, arise. You say, wow. Yeah, well, the authority has spoken. The omnipotent has spoken. The sovereign God in flesh has spoken. And we see the evidence, verse 15. And he that was dead set up. Now, what do you think those pallbearers are thinking about right now? <laughs> I mean, this is unheard of. You know, there are several things. i got to rush here. There are several things in the scriptures uh, that we talk about as though it was ordinary stuff. Uh, virgin birth is one. We say, uh, a virgin shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. We go, okay, that's great. What's next? Virgins don't have babies, folks. Did you know that? That's not common. 
That, that, that's, I mean, like that should shock us. And then we say, well, the Lord Jesus is in the grave three days, and then he rose from the dead. He did? Oh, yeah. Well, what's next? People don't, they don't do that. You ever know anybody that was buried, and three days later they got up and went home and had breakfast with the family? I mean, this is unheard of. You know, th this is impossible. We, we treat resurrection uh, as though, uh, I say unto thee, arise, and he set up, uh, and he began to speak. We go, okay, what's next? You better stop right there. We're, we're talking about um, power that raises the dead. <clears throat> and I, I don't suggest you do this, okay? But um, if, if you walked up to a casket, and there's a fellow in there that's passed away, and you walk up to him and say, you ugly. Get out of that casket right now, and I'll show you a few things. You owe me 500 bucks. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with you. Guess what that person does? Zero. Zero. They are dead. They cannot respond. There is nothing in them that can make them respond. They are dead, and it doesn't make any difference what you say or how you do it or how you accuse them or how you challenge them. they just going to lay there. But not when Jesus speaks. And we're not talking about some accusation, uh, some interrogation. We're talking about a voice of compassion on the mother. And he says, young man, get up. Arise. He sits up and he begins to speak. Verse 15. <laughs> What did he say? <laughs> Wouldn't we like to know? I mean, as you just work through this thing, what, what, what would he say? Whoo, uh, where am I? <laughs> he looks around, he's laying on his couch. I mean, man, I don't know what he's going to say. But the Lord Jesus is there. And this man has come to life. And notice it says, and he delivered him to his mother. She lost him. He was gone. You ever hear somebody say, at the 11th hour and the 59th minute, Jesus came. Well, let me tell you something. He came at 1230 for this one, okay? <laughs> Some of you are still asleep. You'll get that later if you think about it this afternoon, okay? This is well after midnight that the Lord Jesus has come in this case, but his timing is perfect. So we have these steps. Weep not. He touches the couch. He speaks to the dead, and he gave him back to his mother. I've got just a few minutes here. Uh, let me conclude by saying this. Um, do you think you will ever hear the voice of God? And if you're smart, you'll go like this. Yes, I will. You can hear the voice of the Lord today if you'd like to, because he's speaking today. You know what he says? I love you. I died for you. I paid the penalty of your sins. I'd like to get you out of your position, which is dead in trespasses and sins. You're gone. You're lost. You have no hope. You got a terrible past. You have a bitter present. And you have a hopeless future. But hear the voice of God. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall 
a believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Can you hear that voice today? Because if you can hear that voice today by grace and through faith, you can reach up and you can embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. In the day when he calls all that dwell on the earth, you'll be on the right side. You'll be with him. But if you refuse to hear that voice today, there is a voice that all of us will hear. The pale rider will come to your house. And you will give an account. And you will meet Jesus Christ. How far will he come? Wherever you are, he will come. The Lord Jesus singled you out. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He will do everything possible. He will, he, he will alter his schedule to go to Nain. He will move heaven and earth to come to your house. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to find him. He will come to you. The 11th hour, the last moment, folks, don't put it off. Tomorrow you'll have more sin to repent of and less time to repent in. If there is a tomorrow, there might be no tomorrow. Does he have compassion? Absolutely. God robbed heaven of its most precious commodity and sent the Lord Jesus to be your Savior. He so loved you. What would you say today if you were raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. Uh, that is, dead in trespasses and sins, separated from God, uh, 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 in the prison of darkness and sin, and all of a sudden the light comes on. Christ is there. I respond to the voice. What do you think you would say? Well, any of us that are saved, I tell you what we would say. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. That could be your testimony today. And in closing, I just want you to notice again in verse 16. I think it's rather significant. In verse 16, it says, And there came a fear on all. You say, well, Joe, are you trying to scare me this morning? Yep, I guess I would be. I wish I could scare you into heaven. I, I can't do that. And fear, when it's the right fear, when it's reverence, when it's respect, when it's a reverential fear, you know what the outcome always is? Glory to God. Glory to God. A great fear. So what's wrong with our world today? We've lost our reverence for God. It's just an old man that sits on a throne somewhere up in the heavens and the long beard and says now you naughty children it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God a divine appointment in a little town called Nain you see it would live up to its name because a most beautiful thing happened there that day when the Lord Jesus presented this young man back to his mother. Some of you may have lost a daughter, 
or a son, a relative, a wife, a husband. Physically, you've lost them. Some of you have lost them to the world, to sin. Then came Jesus. Don't ever give up. Don't ever quit. God's train is coming in at the right time. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep hoping. He will make it happen. He will give you them back. Let's pray. Lord, would you be pleased to take these scattered thoughts this morning and run them through the sieve of your word and all that is scriptural may come out to the hearers on the other side and that they might not soon forget what God has said for Christ's sake. Amen. Any announcements? You are dismissed and may the Lord be with you.